Welcome back in, everyone, to another episode of Middle American. I'm your host, Brian Grozier, and here we are again. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, we had a Trump indictment episode where we talked about the allegations that were raised against him in uh, Manhattan, New York, and involving the uh, hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and the indictment that came from that, which was rather unprecedented. Well, here we are with unprecedented 2.0, where a former president gets indicted by his own federal government for the first time. And uh, this time dealing with classified documents being held at Mar-a-Lago um, after his presidency. You've got charges of you know breaches of national security. You've got charges of obstruction of justice, which is you know that old saying: the cover-up is often worse than the crime. Because there's some debate if he had just produced these records and didn't try to preclude the government from securing them, that this wouldn't have been as big of an issue as it is. But nevertheless, he's got 37 felony counts of a variety of things. Uh, levied against him by the federal government. First time ever that a former president has been uh, indicted by the federal government in that regard. And I told you that this was going to happen. So I told you that there were two other investigations that were going on, one with the DOJ and one in Fulton County, Georgia, when it deals with the uh, election in 2020 and uh, interference with that. Uh, So that's still on the horizon as well, likely going to happen at some point here later this month, maybe in July. Uh, according to the DA there. So we might have an indictment 3.0 uh, to talk about at some point here in the future as well. But I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of the indictment itself and the charges and everything like that and the likelihood of you know jail time or anything in that regard. I'm sure you, there are plenty of pundits out there that are talking about it. I'm talking more about its impact uh, on us in terms of a society, but also in terms of you know, this presidential election that's starting to ramp up. You've seen more and more people start to jump into the fray. You've got Tim Scott jumping in on the Republican side. You've got Ron DeSantis jumping in on the Republican side. Um, and we've got our first debate coming up in just two months. I think it's at the end of August on Fox. They're going to have their first debate uh, there. And on the Democrat side, you have Gavin Newsom going on Sean Hannity's show on Twitter, um, running kind of a shadow campaign. Uh, because who knows what's going to happen with Joe Biden at this point, if he's actually, I mean, he says he's running, but uh, you've got some you know, people posturing on his side, acting as if yeah, maybe he won't, or you know, maybe he ultimately will bow out or what have you. So it'd be interesting to watch how that side develops. But the thing that has been evident uh, ever since the original indictment came out in, uh, with Trump is that his support has only grown, really, on the Republican side. I mean, he's double digits, uh, well, not even double digits, um, double the support, basically, of DeSantis, uh, according to polls. I mean, he's routinely polling at about 50% amongst Republicans, and DeSantis is right at... Uh, 20 to 25 percent. And then there's nobody, uh, whether it's Mike Pence or Nikki Haley or um, Tim Scott, there's nobody that is polling above 5 percent amongst Republicans. So how is that? Like, why is that the case that you've got a candidate that is um, been indicted now twice and yet he is still surging far ahead of 
anybody else that's going up against him on the Republican side. Now, how, how is that possible? How is that happening? Well, I think the main thing amongst Republicans is that this is being viewed as a double standard, right? That we, we have seen the full weight of the Southern District of New York, and we have seen the full weight of the U.S. federal government being applied against the leading Republican candidate for what amounted to documents at his house and hush money payments to a stripper. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what we're talking about here. And yet, flashback to 2016, when there were allegations being raised about Hillary, the leading candidate on the Democrat side, and about having classified emails and classified documents on her private server at her house. And if you recall, there being cell phones that were smashed with hammers and computers that were being destroyed by hammers and servers or hard drives being bleached. Um, that, yeah, there's the, the belief that the federal government didn't put the same weight and the same fervor behind that investigation to lead to an indictment of that presidential candidate. And so you have that as a background, and then you have the Hunter Biden laptop, which we were told by everyone on the media and by FBI and CIA uh, leaders that it was Russian misinformation, that it didn't exist, that it wasn't real. And this was going on during the 2020 election, when you had the leading Democrat candidate, and any news about it was scrubbed. I mean, the New York Post tried to post it, and Twitter would prevent it from being posted. And so you you had, and it wasn't about you know photo necessarily about photos of Hunter in his hotel room banging strippers and doing cocaine, uh, even though that's scandalous and salacious and everything else. But it was more about the information that was on there and also the emails that were between Hunter and high-ranking officials in Ukraine and China and everything else talking about this for that, you know, a little bit of exchange of, you know, favor and everything else for um, time with the big guy, I think, as it was put in the emails and the big guy referencing the then vice president, uh, Joe Biden. And so we were told that there's nothing to see here. This is wrong. This isn't misinformation, et cetera, et cetera, by our own government. You know, the folks that allegedly were investigating Hillary Clinton as well in 2016 and are bringing uh, charges against Donald Trump now um, told nothing to see here. And then, of course, earlier this year, we find out that's not true, that everything was accurate. Uh, that that laptop did exist. Those photos did exist, and they're all over the web. Uh, those emails did exist. Uh, and there's certainly smoke to uh, what was being raised back in 2020. And yet here we are finding out about it now in 2022 and 2023. And these indictments, the timing of these indictments, seem to correlate with some further news when it comes to President Biden. Uh, in terms of this $5 million bribe uh, allegation with Ukrainian officials or businessmen. Uh, and why does that matter? Well, with Hunter being on the board at Burisma, uh, their uh, oil company in uh, Ukraine, and millions and millions and millions of U.S. taxpayer dollars going to support Ukraine, 
in its war against Russia, uh, it does matter. And it does matter if you've got a U.S. president that is in dealings with another country and has a potential financial uh, reason to be doing things because of some sort of uh, financial hold over him because of a bribery scheme or whatnot. That does matter. Uh, It mattered to the point that a phone call between President Trump and the Ukraine led to his impeachment. Um, I think this is the double standard that we're talking about, right? That is this perception that the current administration is using its full weight, both at the state levels and at the federal levels, to go after its number one political opponent and to try to take that political opponent out through the judicial system where the same amount of fervor and scrutiny by that same judicial system does not seem to be applied if the leading candidate is a Democrat or potentially even sitting currently in the White House. I think that is what is leading to Trump having that 50% support and it continues to grow, it seems like, with each passing indictment. So what does that mean? I mean, what does that mean for independence? Like, I, I, I'm not a fan of Trump. I am. I think that, um, you know, I think he did good things for this country while president. I know that's a sin to say that. I, I think that he did do good things. I think he did some bad things, just as almost every president does. But I think that he got painted as such an evil person that did nothing but harm to this country. I don't think that's a fair narrative, just as I don't think uh, the media has given a fair narrative to Biden right now, in the sense that if the if there was a Republican president in office right now, and the country had the inflation issues that it does, it has the crime issues that it does, it has the border issues that it does, that president would be roasted every single night. You would think this was the worst country ever if all of that stuff was being uh, talked about every single night, which it would be uh, if it was DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Mike Pence sitting at 1600 President, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, but it's not. And this is the double standard that I'm talking about. There's a double standard that exists in the media, and there's a double standard that is being perceived to exist now by our own institutions when it comes to the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice. And this is a concern. You know, whether that double standard truly exists or not, I just laid out the reason why I think Republicans are still in Trump's corner, because they view that this double standard truly does exist. And as a independent voter, kind of looking at it from the outside, you can see there's some merit to that. There's certainly some merit to that, because name the last time that a Democratic official was gone after like this by the media or by the state government, federal government, whatever it may be. And you may say, well, hey, you know, this is this is Trump. No, this is crazy. This is the worst thing ever. Is it? I mean, again, we're talking about hush money payments of $130,000 to a stripper uh, to not talk about it during the campaign. That's what the crux of the Manhattan Uh, indictment was. And we're talking about documents that were not secured, but in boxes and everything else at Trump's Mar-a-Lago home after he was president. Now, 
those documents had some classified information of it in it. And it apparently had some, according to the indictment, some nuclear issues and everything else. Serious things, right? Should they be sitting in a cardboard box uh, in, in your house or should they be secured with the National Archives? They should be secured with the National Archives, absolutely. But again, here's your double standard. You may not even know this, but go ahead and Google it. Look at the boxes that were in Biden's house in Delaware, in his garage. Same idea. Classified documents found there. Uh, And yet Biden, the way that he talked about it was they were secured by his garage door. You know, that impenetrable garage door that exists. And this is what I'm talking about, the double standard, right? You might not even know that those documents exist. And there were documents at Pence's house that, that they found. And there were documents at, uh, you know, other presidents. And presidents take these documents home with them. That's part of um, the process. There's an article about that right now in in, in today's Wall Street Journal by uh, Michael Bakesha. And he was an attorney that tried to, using the Freedom of Information Act, tried to utilize uh, the act to get some tapes that President Bill Clinton had used and, and kept over time in, in, in terms of dealing with senators and private conversations that he was having with secretaries of state and, and with other countries and everything else as part of preparing his book for when he uh, left the presidency. And, you know, they weren't necessarily paper documents, but they were documents nonetheless in terms of they were tapes. He kept them in a sock drawer and then took them with him and didn't notify the Department of Justice about them. And when the uh, lawyer tried to get them as part of the Freedom of Information Act, Justice Department ultimately said that uh, they don't, quote, have a duty to engage in a never-ending search for potential presidential records that weren't provided to the National Archives by the president at the end of his term. Nor does the Presidential Records Act require that the archives appropriate potential presidential records forcefully. And then it was the government's position that Congress had decided that the president and the president alone decides what is a presidential record and what isn't. And he may take with him whatever records he chooses at the end of his term. So that is what our government said about securing those tapes, you know, as part of a Freedom of Information Act. And yet we see the house raided uh, down there in Mar-a-Lago and now the dog and pony show that happened yesterday uh, in terms of the indictment and then the post-indictment speeches by both sides and everything else. So, again, I think this is why this is an issue uh, in terms of the double standard uh, being applied, perceived at least by Republicans and I think that it'll be what'll be most interesting to see is how all of this plays out amongst independents, because I do think that the more and more this happens, the less and less independents tend to like Trump. Uh, I think most of us are just tired of hearing about him, tired of the rhetoric, tired of the drama, tired of all of that. But at the same time, I think it more and more erodes the trust in otherwise highly thought of institutions. You know, the more that this happens the more we begin to question the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, you know, all these institutions that have been telling us one thing over this Trump presidency and then post-presidency, and then we find out the other later on. And so there's some question now as to, you know, is, is the DOJ, and this is something that's being obviously used on the campaign trail, both by Trump and by DeSantis, that the DOJ is being weaponized by the current administration to go after its political opponents. And I think there's some truth to that. 
you know, whether it's fully true or not, I do think there is some truth to that, in, in the very least, the perception of it. And if there is any amount of truth to that, that should scare you as an American, because that is a banana republic type thing, you know, where you go after your political opponents through law enforcement uh, and through the, uh, the Department of Justice in, in, in that regard and try and silence them that way. That's That should not happen, right? And so whether or not Trump committed a crime or not, again, I trust that the government and that the judicial system will um, ferret that out. But my hope is, is that if something similar does happen with Biden when it comes to this $5 million bribe or, you know, any potential future uh, candidate on the Democrat side, if something similar were to happen, that a similar amount of scrutiny, a similar amount of fervor, a similar amount of um, interest will be had by those same institutions. Because if it doesn't, that's where the erosion will continue to happen. And not um, necessarily just amongst Democrats and Republicans, but specifically amongst these independents who lose further trust in their own government that they're going to be doing the right thing. And it doesn't matter if they're a male or a female, if they're black or white, Republican, Democrat. The law is the law, and they apply it equally. And I think that that is something that is a concern with each passing indictment that occurs. And the question being, would these indictments even be happening if Trump wasn't running for president again? You know, if he was just golfing at Mar-a-Lago and was never running for president, would these indictments even happen in the first place? It's a fair question. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens over these next few weeks. Again, Georgia should be issuing an uh, indictment of their own here uh, in a couple of weeks. So we'll be doing this rodeo all over again. Uh, but it'll be interesting to watch the polls because it's going to start heating up. I mean, uh, the Republican debate's coming up here in two months, so it's going to start heating up. You've got, I think, most of the candidates who have declared at this point are the ones that are going to be running. You've got Pence, you've got DeSantis, you've got Nikki Haley, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Trump. Um, so I think you've got a pretty decent uh, amount of candidates, not the same as what you had in 2016, but you've still got a pretty decent amount of candidates that have thrown their hats into the ring. I'm interested to see what happens on the Democrat side if there's any uh, push by Kennedy or by Newsom to run a campaign against Biden. Uh, but time will tell. And and so it'll be interesting to watch. I will discuss the third indictment if and when that comes out. But I think the next episode, I'd like to tell you, it is summer. Uh, we are interested in taking summer vacations as families across America. And a concern of that is, you know, is it safe? And what's going on in some of these uh, prized or what used to be at least prized cities here in the, in the United States. You know, what's going on in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Portland, Seattle, you know, what's going on in these large cities that you're seeing all these encampments of homelessness and drugs and stores just leaving in droves because they're getting robbed literally every day. you go into a Walgreens and you can't even go uh, in the aisles. There's like two aisles that are open. Everything else is behind uh, windows that you have to order through the window in order to grab something. I mean, this is the United States of America that this is happening in. And we're going to go into a deep dive into that because summer vacations are upon us. And I want to talk about what's going on in our cities um, in our next episode. So until then, this has been The Middle American. <laughs>